Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. I'm Chrissy Jumbowski and have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. One of us is in the school-age day-to-day of parenting. And one of us is on the other side now. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. This is Chrissy. And this is Beth Ann. And today we have our partner, Laura Wiecicki, with us from CompassMark to share with us why it is so important to have conversations about drugs and alcohol early and to give us some tips on exactly how to do that. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Laura, can you tell us a little bit about CompassMark, about the organization, uh, what exactly it is the Compass Mark provides in Chester County and in the Downingtown community. Yeah, I would love to. So Compass Mark is the Chester County drug and alcohol prevention provider. We are funded by the Chester County SBA to provide our services to the Chester Community School and um, to different community-based organizations. Compass Mark's mission is really to prevent addiction through education, skill building, and community mobilization, which is a lot. We have a lot of different services that we can offer to the Chester County community, which we're very excited about. We are a new organization to Chester County. However, we've been in the Lancaster and Lebanon communities for over 50 years. So even though some of the services that you may be seeing from us in Chester are new and a little bit different from what you've seen historically. Um, All of our services are really well vetted and trusted in the Lancaster and Lebanon communities. So we are very excited to be here in Chester now and be able to um, share all of our menu of services with the community. We want to provide strong evidence-based services. And one of the ways that we do that is through our evidence-based school programs. Uh, We are in a number of the elementary schools in Downingtown providing some of these evidence-based programs. Uh, The focus so far this year has been on some of our SEL programs, our social and emotional learning programs. So, Laura, today our topic is why do parents need to start talking about drugs and alcohol with their kids early? And what does early really mean? Is early mean middle school? Does it mean younger than middle school? Um, And how exactly can we do that? So just some statistics to share that I found in preparation for this um, as we start to discuss this topic. Uh, One that always actually stands out to me also because of the age of my oldest child. Um, So we know that actually this is from No When, No How. Uh, that's actually a website that's ran by the PLCB, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board. It actually has a ton of great resources, and I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but one in three kids have tried alcohol by the age of eight. And then this goes up to two out of three by the age of 12. So, um, and you know, this just makes me think like, okay, so when I'm watching all these third graders walk up from the bus stop, do I sit there and do the math, mental math like calculation of like, okay, one, two, three. One out of you three might statistically have tried taking a sip of alcohol or something, right? So when you think about it and apply it to real life, like looking at groups of kids, mm-hmm. um, and then two out of three by the age of 12. So Laura, can you talk to us about how parents can 
get ahead of this and work with their kids or, you know, how, what, what would be the first thing as far as you would say uh, for parents to do? Yeah. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm so excited that we have really our whole episode today where I can really give parents and really all adults who are in kids' lives some really tangible tools that they can use to start having these conversations. Um, Whether your kid is eight years old or whether they're about to be 18, Um, some of the tips that I'm going to share are going to be really helpful throughout their lifespan and as you identify different relevant topics to try to breach with your child. Um, So I guess the first thing I want to point out is that there is this unique window of opportunity that we see, and by we see, I mean the research shows, um, that between the ages of 8 to 11 is an interesting opportunity, a window of opportunity where you can talk with your child about um, some of these, if you want to call them risky topics. Uh, And the reason that this is, is they're right at the cusp of their getting older, more mature, starting to be able to look and think about their things that are not just pertaining to them. You know, when we look at really young kids, like six and under, their whole perspective is me focused. Mm -hmm. But when they start to get to like this eight to 11 range, they're in school, they're starting to have more peer interactions and start to notice that more. Mm -hmm. They're more in tune with what their peers are doing. And for this conversation, what their peers are saying. Mm -hmm. So, um, they just start to have more of a worldview if you want to look at it that way. But they're also young enough where you as their parent, as their caretaker, as their role model, still have a really big influence on their attitudes and perceptions. So really what the research shows is that 8 to 11 is just this unique window where we can have a really big influence on our children's attitudes. Um, The other thing that I want to mention here is that, again, today we're going to kind of give you tools that you can use even if your kiddo is older. So I kind of want to point out this unique window so that parents with younger kids know that even though they may think this is too early to kind of breach hard topics, Mm. it's not. And I'm going to give you guys, again, some really solid tools that you can refer to. So even though you might feel uncomfortable, you might feel like it's too young, Mm -hmm. you'll have the tools to refer to. So one thing, as you were talking, Laura, you made me think of, Thinking of this age group too, it's like upper elementary, so like second, third, fourth, fifth grade. It is true as opposed to younger kids. Like this is the age where kids might be going, you're not staying at the birthday party. You're not staying at the house when they have, you know, time to spend playing with a friend. Like where usually when they're younger, it's like you hang out, the kids go play, the parents might hang out and talk Mm -hmm. or whatever. But then this is a time where kids are are building that more independence, but also with that, they're being exposed to things and developing their own interpretation of things they're seeing, things they're hearing, 
And that peer influence definitely starts to increase. And I definitely can say that I am observing this with my own child who's in third grade, that that peer acceptance and kind of seeing what other people are doing and questioning like, oh, well, why can they do that? And I can't do this or those types of things definitely has increased more at that age. So like I'm having all these little light bulbs as you're, because this is very tuned in. I'm very much the target audience for this. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And I do think, you know, that's a great thing to highlight and I'll, I'll highlight this a little bit more as we get into the conversation. Um, but one of the things that you as a parent can do to help counteract some of these things is even though you might not be staying at those birthday parties and building relationships with your kids, friends, parents that way, it's still really important and um, building up some protective factors if you find a way to still make those connections with parents. Um, and I'll highlight this again a little bit later on in our conversation, um, but building those relationships now when you're not worried about something in particular is going to make it a lot easier if you do have concerns and, you know, maybe they're flash forward and they're in seventh grade having their sleepover and you just want to make sure that your kid is at the house that they say that they're going to be at, mm. you're going to feel a lot more comfortable reaching out to that parent. If you already have at least some level of acquaint acquaintance with them. That's a really good point. This. Um, so Laura, just kind of staying along in this, the same lines of this conversation, we get a little bit more maybe specific in, um, in how and uh, parents can actually engage in these conversations what would you say are some sort of hands-on things to do um, to make these conversations more frequent, more comfortable, um, but also maybe even some of the things that are like the do nots, you know, the kinds of things are like, oh, that just closes down the conversation or that just sort of puts you in this because I can and find out that with with I can think about this with my own kids who are now adults um, with these kinds of conversations. You also don't want to do things that um, they will become argumentative with you, even though they know you're correct and you are absolutely they, they know it there because it's the way that you've said it or it's something that you've said, perhaps about their friends who, even though they know you're right, they're not going to give that to you. They're going to disagree. They're going to you know push back. So what would you say are sort of those like common to do's that facilitate these? conversations and the be really really careful either with your face or the words that come out of your mouth that perhaps is not the best way to engage in that conversation what would that look like yeah and i i think that's a great question and there are so many answers to it so i'm going to try to keep it um as to the point as possible so I don't want anyone to get too overwhelmed because it is achievable and I'm just going to highlight really the major things here. So the first thing I want to talk about is the what not to do. And Bethan, I think you kind of like hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, if you know that you're right in a conversation, but when we're talking about these conversations, being right isn't the goal necessarily. Um, and the biggest thing is for this to 
whenever you're you're having this, you want it to be a conversation and a discussion. And even if you know you're right, again, that's not the most important thing of building these strong foundational relationships with your child. So I think the two biggest don'ts when having these conversations is don't use scare tactics. Mm. And scare tactics in the sense if we're thinking about um, us being right and us being armed with all these facts and knowledge that we want to make sure our kiddo knows. The wrong approach would be saying, um, you know, if we're talking about alcohol consumption, let's say, taking the approach of stats of mortality by drunk drivers, um, taking the stance of all the negative impacts that using alcohol at a young age can have on their present and their future, and it can impact their brain and their bodies. Even though us as adults might be like, well, that is scary. I do want my kid to know those facts. The research shows that using scare tactics like that isn't actually effective in preventing kids using substances. It can be effective with adults. That's a whole nother podcast, though. Mm. For kids, not so much. It doesn't resonate with them. So we'll talk about how you can phrase those statements in a way that does resonate with them. But the other thing that you really want to avoid is being judgmental during these conversations. And I think that goes hand in hand with what we were just saying too, with being right isn't what matters here. Um, so when you're having these conversations, sometimes you're going to end up learning things that are not what you had hoped for. And I'm hoping that by the end of this podcast, you'll feel like even if you do get that knowledge, that you know how to handle it in a way that makes it so your kid is going to feel comfortable in future conversations coming with the, to you with information that no, it doesn't make you happy, but they feel safe and accept it and still feel loved despite their actions. So then kind of going into what the do's look like for that conversation, um, on the flip side of judgment is empathy. So making sure that your kid does know, um, even if they know, you know, this is a no drinking under 21 household and those are our rules. But then they come to you and say, you know, I made a bad choice. You approach that situation with as much love and empathy, thinking back to when you were their age and we're in some risky situations and just trying to see it from their perspective, not from the adult, the parent perspective, but what were they up against in that situation? What peer pressure and social um, pressures did they have? Mm -hmm. And coming at it from that angle, as opposed to necessarily the disciplinarian mm -hmm. in that situation. That reminds me of when I used to, you know, would talk about brain development and how we know 
specifically, obviously, young children and adolescents, you know, the front part of their brain is not fully developed. That's, you know, in charge of impulse control and judgment and decision making. And so when I would, you know, do health education and, and talking to groups about this and say, okay, it would be adults and people that were no longer adolescents or kids. And I would say to them, okay, how many of you in here, I want you to close your eyes and just think back to a time when you were maybe 15, 16, 17 years old. And now as an adult, looking back, you can think of a time that and think to yourself, oh my gosh, I did the like just most thoughtless, stupid thing. I can't believe I did that and either got away with it or maybe I got in trouble. But I'm sure everyone can come up with an example of some mistake or something that you did. As an adult, you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. But a lot of it has to do, you know, it's almost kind of channeling that into our parenting. Like we all make mistakes and you, I guess that is kind of like the ultimate ideal is that you would hope your kid would come to you when they are making mistakes and say, Hey, I really need help or Hey, I really need support. And you not finding out in some other way or something really bad happens. That is the, the important underlying aspect of being empathetic to our youth is we definitely weren't perfect when they were our age or when we were their age Mm -mm. and just trying to take off our adult hat for just this 10 minutes that we're having this conversation. And so something else that when we talked about planning for this is you talked a little bit about um, having empathy and then also you know, I statements and what I statements look like. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I statements are a way of phrasing what our feelings are, but doing it in a non-blaming way. So it kind of goes hand in hand with that judgment piece that we were just talking about. So a lot of times when we're voicing our opinions and our feelings, we end up defaulting to language that places the blame on someone other than ourselves. And a great way to flip that is to use these I statements. So just an example of what that would look like. Um, Let's say that my kid is at a party and they have an 11 o'clock curfew and they get home at 12 o'clock. So me as the parent up at night waiting for them and first thing they come in the door and I immediately go, you were supposed to be home at 11 o'clock. You missed curfew you disappointed me so much. You can, how, how do you think a kid is going to react to that? Even though, again, they know that you're right, they're going to automatically become defensive because you're coming at them and almost attacking them for their behavior. So instead of saying all these you, you, you statements, you're to blame, you flip it. And you can say really similar things, but saying, I feel instead. So um, in that situation, you could say, I was feeling so worried about you 
Um, I was really concerned because we had this curfew set for 11 o'clock. I know that we had this conversation before you went to the party and we had this agreement. So I had a lot of anxiety when you hadn't come home at our agreed upon time and weren't answering your cell phone. I feel like we can have better communication in the future and make sure that we do have an agreed upon time when you go to events like this with your friends. How does that sound to you? And just by flipping that, it's still giving the same information, but it becomes an open dialogue and a discussion. It's letting them know that the reason that you're upset is because you were worried about them. And again, coming from this place of love. And I think, Laura, that's a really good reminder. Um, It's actually getting to the same point, but completely changing the sound of it um, and not making it judgmental and sort of creating an oppositional argumentative kind of a situation. Um, So I think those are it's really helpful to kind of even think about that and practice it while you're waiting for them to come home. Um, so that you sort of have that in your mind, because I've definitely been on the other side where just your initial reaction is, and I think you're doing it more so out of like worry and fear and anxiety, then you're super angry. I think it tends to come from a, another place, but it doesn't come off like that. It certainly sounds more like, sort of definitely more like anger. And also I was wondering if you give some other examples of opportunities to have these conversations, because rather than waiting for when it's, um, sort of on high alert, like you're not you come home from a party late or any any other kind of situation that's sort of acute and you're in the moment but what other types of opportunities present themselves kind of more casually okay so what you're saying is today when i pick up my kid from school as soon as he jumps in the car and goes to buckle a seatbelt i'll be like hey how was your day what's going on and let's talk about drugs let's talk about alcohol let's have all the big conversations probably mm-hmm. shouldn't do that Although I get one memory, Christy, that I will jog of yours would be the time when uh, my middle school. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Were in the car with Chrissy, who was they were picking them up for me, doing me a favor and uh-huh. had them in the car with her. Uh-huh. I was not present at the time, uh-uh. but I heard about it after the fact when Chrissy was driving them and took that opportunity to go, go right into her drug and alcohol uh-huh. prevention 101 lecture. Yes, and this is true. Day, my, this my is true. Child, who is now 24, uh-huh. still remembers the moment when uh, in middle school, Chrissy uh-huh. captured them in the back seat of the car yeah. and just decided to put it all out there and just see how that conversation would go. So we have fond memories uh-huh. of you. I, yes, I did use the trapped. Driving. I did use the trapped car the trapped and I said, car. "Hey, you know what's going on with marijuana right now? Are you guys talking about this in school? What's going on?" Because <laughs> of course I would like was newly educated, went to a conference, had a training, was in charge of this grant. Uh-huh. Feeling empowered. I was feeling she empowered. Was. It was all about that. Uh-huh. Yes. Lesson learned. Mm-hmm. But the, it stuck with them. Look how many years later. Well, they remember. I don't you know, know if they remember it for good or bad, uh, but it somehow yeah. it stuck with them in some way or another. <laughs> they remembered Aunt Chrissy and her, uh, her oh car lectures. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's funny that you bring that up because having conversations in car rides is actually a great opportunity because, not because they're trapped, but because it's for a set period of time. 
So one of the things, and Chrissy, I have a feeling you were probably feeling this during this conversation, is you had all this knowledge and information. You were like, yes, my perfect audience is finally here, right? Oh, yes. And I did. Um, and I also was not a parent at that point, or I had very, my kids were very small. <laughs> I was not well versed in what parenthood really yeah. is and what it really looks like. Um. But, you know, if we are driving our kid to soccer practice, we know that it's going to take us 10 minutes from when we get in the car and leave our house to when we get to the field. And during that 10 minutes is a great time. Bethann, I think you used this word, casual conversation, um, to just have this small very brief conversation, but diving into some of these deeper topics. So, you know, us as adults, we can have hours of deep conversation. But if we're starting at 11 years old, like we were talking about earlier, and starting to breach some of these challenging topics, our elementary age kiddos are not well equipped to handle hours and hours of deep intellectual conversation. So keeping it just this 10 minute car ride that we already have with them kind of caps us as adults so that we don't overload our children with all these stats and statistics. Um, but it breaks it down too. So that maybe every Tuesday and Thursday that we're driving to soccer practice, we're getting in this routine of having these small digestible conversations with our kids. Um, and that is a great opportunity too, uh, because we want to make sure that these conversations are continuous. So even though they're short, we want to make sure that we're having them on a regular basis. And as they get older, just because they're 16 and maybe don't want to talk to you as much as they did when they were 11, doesn't mean that we should stop trying to initiate these conversations. And similarly, we want to make sure that we're building on topics that we talked about previously. So, you know, like Chrissy, in your conversation, you did a great job with, um, asking them what their level of knowledge and awareness was around marijuana, it sounded like. Mm -hmm. And that's a great place to start is just asking them, hey, what, uh, what do you know about this? Like, are people talking about this? What is like the general vibe and perception of the other kids in your school? That's a great place to know even where to start topic-wise with conversation. Well, I think another thing that, that can be part of the casualness of this is um, just as things happen. So when Christy, when you give an examples when the kids, there's a song on the radio oh and it's God. like really heavy with, you know, drug and alcohol and drinking, get drunk, particularly country music, which is mm -hmm. notorious for that. Mm -hmm. um, and that certainly opens up like a door and the commercials, um, you know, certainly we don't see as well. We certainly do um, with, with alcohol. Um, but during sporting events and 
and other things along with gambling, which now seems to be Mm -hmm. sports gambling and kids are just, you know, even I'm half tempted sometimes to think perhaps that I should try sport gambling. looks quite successful to me. So I can imagine, I mean, it's it's a lot of it. And it kind of, sometimes kids will just throw a comment out there and they're like, Oh really? Huh? So you think that, well, you know, so, I mean, we kind of, you know, listen and, and look for where it just shows up. I think maybe part of it too with media is also like taking the time to point it out maybe and just say, hmm, it's interesting. I don't know what I think about them adding, you know, having this product placement in this, you know, show that's Mm -hmm. meant for, you know, elementary and middle school age kids, but it's interesting that they have that there. I wonder why they thought to include that. Hmm, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like, I do feel like media songs provide lots of, ample opportunities to, um, because it is one of those things, like, it's almost like the confirmation bias, like until you're, unless you're actually like looking for it, it's almost like when you buy a car and you buy a green car, you start to notice, oh my gosh, there's so many other people that have green cars. When you start to, when you start to look for product placement of wine or beer or alcohol of some sort or name brands slipped into songs or those types of things, you don't really notice it. And then once you start to like, force yourself to pay attention to hear it, you realize, oh my gosh, these messages are surrounding me nonstop all day. Yeah. Like, so, and that adds up, right? So just, it, it does, I think, you know, speaking of what you're saying, Laura, like it could be just mm-hmm. those little things, but it's, you have to kind of be in the right headspace to just say, okay, do I want to, you know, bring this up right now or not? You don't have to do it every single time, but I'm sure that knowing right. that we're kind of surrounded at all times, there'll be more than ample opportunities to be able to, bring things up in those types of things. Right. And I completely agree with you both. And what I love hearing that both of you kind of have this in different ways, but when you're bringing up these conversations, you kind of more poke at it. Like I noticed this, what do you think about it? Instead of just filling in kind of like the obvious adult perspective, but making it a whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a really good idea and suggestion. And uh, Christy, I know I've sh- we've shared this or I've shared this before. And again, this all of these podcasts certainly have me going back and doing an archaeological dig <laughs> on what I did correct and incorrect in my adult children's right. lives now. But I, I know that there are a few phrases to this day bring angst um, and sort of a physical reaction to my children. One of them being I was listening to NPR today and heard. Um, and they, they automatically, if they hear anybody's voices from NPR to this day, they, they, you know, automatically have angst about it. Oh, that's or funny. the other thing was I was reading, um, I read this research article uh-huh. and they were talking about youth who uh-huh. blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, I saw this statistic today that just came out. Can you, so, and I, and I think that just comes from my teacher mode of, you know, the time 30 some years, I just go into that. And to this day, they'll say, we swear you started every one of our <laughs> high school conversations with something like that. And their eyes would glaze over and roll back and they'd roll back in their heads. <laughs> so I didn't realize that they were having post-traumatic yeah. mom conversations uh-huh. because I, I just thought I was being so interesting. And did you know when I heard this and they took it as here she goes again to the point where my youngest would say, I, I just ask that you please stop listening to NPR or you please stop <laughs> doing whatever your journal that you're reading and just don't do it before you talk with us. So well, there's just a cautionary note. 
to anyone, particularly those of us who come to these conversations with a professional background in the field, of which many of us do, that we need to know like how to couch that a little bit. That was me, that was me back giving those kids some rides back in the day. Truly, very, back in the day. very, you know, factual. Very excited about all these things I learned, and I probably did trigger them because I said, "Hey, I just went to this conference." Oh my goodness! Yeah, I just was so excited to share my knowledge. When really, that's the thing. We can share knowledge, but I think the lesson here today is kind of you're choosing connection over anything else is the most important piece of it. And I like what Laura said. It's not about being right. Yeah, I do like that. That we might have to make that the title of this. It's not about being right. Yeah, how to have right. Um, so just to review, so, okay, so our tangible things, and I'll, I'll write this in our show notes below that you'll see with this episode, folks that are listening, um, but trying to have empathy using our I statements, um, and using open-ended questions. So some tips to walk away with, but we will do tips Mm -hmm. at the end. Laura, can you tell us what to do if you have substance use disorder that runs in your family? So either a parent or an extended family member, um, either is in recovery from substance use disorder or is currently dependent on a substance. Um, we know that if you have some substance use disorder in your family, it does put your kids at higher risk or individuals in general at higher risk of developing dependency of their own. So um, that genetic component is very strong. So how would you recommend that parents talk to their kids and introduce this topic to them? Yeah, and I'm so happy that we're having this conversation because as you know, the three of us are aware and tuned into, there is such a huge stigma about talking about these kinds of things. And I think one of the most important things that we can do as community educators is to help break that stigma and encourage parents and caregivers to start having these conversations. And you summed it up beautifully, Chrissy, by saying, you know, we're Those kids do have the biological um, predisposition. Yeah, yeah, the predisposition, thank you, to potentially become addicted later on in their lives. And we're really doing a disservice to them and their futures by not setting them up for success with giving them as much information as we can about what their family history does predispose them to. You know, we wouldn't hesitate to talk with our kids about being predisposed to diabetes. So why would we not give them all the facts so that if they, I shouldn't even say if, when they're in risky situations, they not only are making educated choices based on all the tools and facts that you've given them, but they're also making decisions based off of how it could impact them much greater than potentially their friends and their peers, and they can really understand that. So, you know, breaching that topic honestly looks a lot like what we've already been talking about today. Um, You don't need to make it this big, elaborate, in-depth conversation, Um, starting from just a point of inquisition is a great way to just breach that topic in general. Um, So asking things like, hey, did you know that alcoholism can run in families, that 
you can be at greater risk because of something that someone who's related to you. And like you said, just because it's not my immediate parents, if it's my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, that's still in our genes. Um, so talking about how it can run in families, um, also asking them, hey, do you know if someone is having substance use issues, what, like, how, what would you say to them? How, how would you help them? And educating them on what resources are out there and available. Um, and I think if this is something that a family is facing, one of the great ways to end that conversation is making sure that the kids know that, yeah, like this is a hard conversation. I want, I love you and I care for you and I want to make sure that you're armed with facts, but you know what? Like this was deep and I want to make sure that you know that addiction is preventable. It's treatable. So even if you end up on this path, there are options and I'm here for you and I love you. Um, Laura, one of the things that I think that, that I can, can remember always sort of being able to, to juggle some comfort levels here is how parents can uh, work together. And is there anything that parents can do, you know, with other parents um, or for other parents to kind of help us all be consistent and be on the same page uh, with the messages of prevention and with conversations? Because um, it can be really awkward particularly when, you know, families have different values, but when then families also have different actions about what's okay or what's not okay. Um, so I, just any suggestions on how parents can kind of be supportive of each other and how we can do it in a way that, again, minimizes being judgmental about another family and, and how they, um, you know, what their rules and practices may be around, around alcohol or these conversations. Yeah. So I think, um, Kind of where I want to start with this question is, as your kids get older, you'll end up getting to know their parents less. I think you're chatting about this um, mm -hmm. a little bit before we started recording, that when your kid is six years old, you're still going to those birthday parties with them. You're getting to know their peers, but also their friends' parents. Mm -hmm. And then... Sometime as they're starting to grow up and get more independence, at some point that just kind of stops. You stop going to the birthday parties, um, you stop setting up play dates for them, and you do get this disconnect from your kids, friends, parents. And I just want to, first of all, encourage everyone listening to try to be proactive with still building those relationships. Um, there's a number of reasons why, but one of the most important things is, is if you have some sort of acquaintance with this uh, friend's parent, um, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable calling them if there are questions, risky situations that come up in the future. So, you know, if your kiddo is... Um, you know, in high school and say that they're going to go sleep over at their friend's house. But for whatever reason, something in your gut is just like, mm, something seemed a little bit off. Like I heard them on their phone with their boyfriend or something like that. 
And you just want to make sure that they are where they say they are. So you're going to feel a lot more comfortable and a lot less awkward giving that parent a call if you at least have some sort of foundational relationship with them. So I really recommend trying to get to know your kid's friend's parent, at least having some sort of relationship phone number for them. One thing I was going to say, Laura, is um, that you make makes me think of this because especially I think it's always been true that, of course, your kids are going to become more independent as they get older. So as a, you know, as opposed to elementary age into middle school and then high school, they're going to be making their own plans. You're not the planner anymore. So you're not the cruise director getting all the activities set up and you're not in charge of that anymore. But I think which has always been true. I mean, I even remember this of, you know, of course, my own childhood, but it's especially now because of phones, you really can completely eliminate parents from that whole protocol of yeah. making plans all together. Cause it's just like, you know, if, if kids have their own phones and can talk to each other completely independently, mm-hmm. you might not be hearing, seeing, and they're not even talking on the phone, they're texting. So you might not see, be seeing all of the exchanges that are happening. Whereas, you know, you know, I didn't have a cell phone until I was at the end of my high school career. So it wasn't commonplace. It just, that's, back in the late 90s. So that's, you know, in early 2000s. So that's just where we were technologically. So because of that, it was a lot of my parents getting eyes on people, calling the house phone, hearing me, you know what I mean? So there was a lot more touch points to kind of have a better sense of what's going on. Whereas now it's very easy for parents to be totally out. You have to, it's easy for parents to be left out of the loop, but then also you, it's more on the parent to then have to say, hey, can I get that mom's or dad's phone number, please, so I can shoot them a text myself real quick just to check in to make sure they're going to be home when you are going over there with your friends until 12 o'clock tonight just to make sure an adult's at home, right, and going above and beyond to make that effort. I think that's a great point is things are a lot different now than, you know, probably a lot of people who are listening to us today were experiencing when they were younger. And it is needing to be a little bit more proactive. But also, if you start to use some of the skills that we highlighted today, um, not just in kind of these risky conversations, but just building this strong foundational relationship with your child, they're going to be a lot more receptive when you're coming to them and asking for some more details. They're going to, again, because you have made your relationship more, you can have conversations with them as opposed to more the you being the authoritarian in the relationship. You request, they deliver. Having it more of an open conversation of, hey, I just want to... I just want to know like where you're going to be and who the parents are of your friends. Um, They're going to be a lot more receptive to that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you can kind of do to be proactive with these peer relationships and being on the same page as, as other parents in our community is for one, asking your kid about what makes a good friend. I really love, posing that question to kids. And again, just like we've been talking about this whole episode, having this be a conversation as opposed to you listing X, Y, Z traits is going to really help them critically think about this. 
they're going to think about not only which of these traits are they portraying to their friends, but it's also going to make them think about what characteristics their friends are showing. And it might help bring to light those friends who, you know, would have your back through anything and everything that are making good decisions and mostly supporting your child when they're having to make good, healthy decisions and bring to light maybe some of those friendships that are more one-sided. Another thing that you can do to be proactive is when you're building these relationships with other adults, other parents in the community, is making sure that there is some sort of expectation among our kids, peers, and parents. So, you know, making sure that if someone is having a get-together that there's not alcohol involved, making sure that if someone has an older sibling, that there's this expectation that the older sibling isn't going to be providing alcohol to younger siblings. And having this kind of open communication with the other adults in our community is going to make it a safer environment for our kids. And the one thing I think this just kind of segues in here, and I do like to bring up and really encourage parents to do is we're giving you lots and lots of tools to be proactive, but we can't prevent everything. And it is better to have safety plans in place. So even though you're setting these expectations, creating as healthy of an environment, both in your home and outside as you can, we want to make sure that our, our kids know how to get out of a bad situation if they get into one. So I highly recommend having, again, this open conversation with your youth to set up a safety plan. And the easiest thing that I think you can do is to set up a text code so that if your kiddo is in a risky situation that they want to get out of, they can simply text you an X and you'll know that that X is your code that they need an out from the situation that they're in. And you would know to give them a call and make up an excuse that they needed to come home. And this does a number of things. So most importantly, they're getting out of that situation. But also from you calling, you are giving them the easiest, least controversial out from that situation so they can frame you as the bad guy so that they don't have to address the peer pressure they don't need to make up their own excuse for leaving you're giving them the easiest safest way out you know just for an example on that if my kid is at a party and There's been alcohol, kids are drinking, and, you know, the person who is supposed to be the the designated driver ends up drinking alcohol as well. Now, they're stuck at this house, and they don't know what to do, and maybe it's 1230, and some of your friends need to get home, but there's no safe way. Maybe they don't feel comfortable stepping up and being that responsible 
party in their friend group. So they can text you an ex. You'll know to call them to make sure that they have a safe way to get home. You can talk about you being the designated driver for their friends to make sure that everyone gets home safe. But it's getting your youth and your child and their friends out of this potentially risky situation of someone driving intoxicated. Okay, Laura, as we wrap up, you've shared so many different tips and to-dos with us today, but we like to end every episode with our take action tips. So this would be one thing that parents could do right away today after they finish listening to this podcast with their kids. So could you give us one tangible take action tip for parents of elementary school kids and then parents of adolescents, so teenagers in middle school or high school, of what they could do today to start these conversations with their kids? Yeah, um, I would love to. So I think my biggest recommendation for elementary-aged parents would be just to start the conversation by seeing what their kids' knowledge and current attitude is around whatever topic they want to start reaching. So if you want to jump in to having those conversations around substances, Alcohol with that age is a good place to start. Um, so just asking them like, hey, are our kids talking about alcohol at all? What is, how do you feel about it right now? Um, and that's going to breach the topic, but also kind of let you know where a good starting point is for them. So if it's not on their radar at all, you don't want to jump in with um, all these facts and figures around it. Maybe you want to start more kind of with that media conversation um, around like, oh, don't you think it's interesting how positively alcohol is portrayed in uh, this commercial that we just saw? Then I would say for some of the older kids, um, again, Knowing where their perception is, is going to really be key with guiding you in this conversation. So for them, I think using that media is a great place to start because our teens are so tuned in to kind of like what's popular and trending right now, Um, you know, they really have their finger on the pulse to the second with social media and everything. So I think for them talking about um, if you happen to be in the know around TikTok trends, Mm. that is a great place to start. Um, If you're not though, that's okay. I'll be honest. I am not well-versed in TikTok. Um, But, you know, again, kind of coming at it from, what I think Bethan had mentioned with songs and lyrics that we hear on the radio, mm-hmm. um, asking them like, I heard, um, you know, them talking about popping bottles and, you know, shots all night. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that that's what, do you think that that's how adults consume mm-hmm. alcohol? Do you think that that's the norm? And even asking them, you know, is that seen as like the cool thing to do with your friends and figuring out, 
again, kind of what their level of knowledge is and where their perception is in this moment is going to be key. Laura, I really think that perception message is super important because you're really guessing at it. You're really not sure. Do they really think everyone's doing it? Do they really think all their peers, their friends are doing it? Do they really think all the, your parent group is all doing it? Um, and that really drives um, a lot of a lot of the behavior, whether there's any statistics to support it or not. It's what do they see and what do they think they're seeing um, mm-hmm. is really an important place to have to start this conversation. That's an excellent point. Just then kind of in, in wrapping up, what I think is really important is that folks know how to find you. Uh, so we want to make sure that they know where to find Compass Mark. Um, so if you could just give us a little quick little commercial about how to find you and then perhaps what kind of resources, if I'm a parent, where do I go to, to find things that are targeting me as a parent on your website? So we are on really all the major social media platforms. So we are on Facebook. Um, we are just at Compass Mark on Facebook. We are on Twitter and on Twitter, our handle is at Compass Mark Inc. I-N-C. We are also on LinkedIn if you search under Compass Mark. And then we are on Instagram as well. Um, and our handle on Instagram is Compass Mark. And finally, we do also have a YouTube channel. Our evidence-based sessions are actually recorded. Uh, and we provided links to some of the schools that we are providing virtual programming for last year to our YouTube channel. So if anyone is interested in kind of seeing what some of our evidence-based sessions look like for schools, I highly recommend checking out our YouTube channel to kind of get a feel of what we're about. As far as some resources for parents and families, I know that we'll be sharing a resource guide that I put together with some uh, external links that parents can utilize to, if they want to dive deeper into any of the topics that I talked about today. Again, like everything I kind of highlighted is from different research, research-based organizations that recommend some of these tools for parents and adults. The other two things that I guess want to plug is that we do have a kind of a rolling events calendar. Uh, we are still offering a lot of virtual webinars. So if you are interested in kind of learning more about some of these prevention efforts and how what applies to parents. Definitely look at our events page or subscribe to our newsletter. That would also include any upcoming events. And then the last thing I guess want to mention is that we do also have a uh, information and referral line. So for the most part, this line is to help loved ones and individuals suffering from substance abuse abuse disorder um, to help navigate the treatment side. But we do also just kind of talk with parents to educate them on prevention efforts in general and any questions that they may have. Um, So we have a hotline that operates Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And the phone number for that is 717-299-2831. 
And then in addition to that, on our website, which is compassmark.org, we also have a chat feature. So you can kind of reach us by phone or through chat if you want to just get more information or if there's anything that you kind of want to talk more about and have someone with this prevention lens. Okay, thank you so much, Laura, for sharing all this information and taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for everyone for joining us and listening in. Um, So you'll see everything that we talked about, links to everything that we talked about um, down below this. You can tap, swipe in the show notes for this episode in your podcast player. And uh, you can always go to dtownctc.org, our website, to find my email and more information about CTC as well. So we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.